Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. In the podcast today, you know, I got the show with me. How's it going? Great. How are you, Patrick? Yeah, not too bad. I'm in uh, Vilnius right now where we are expanding our team yeah. quite quite a bit. So I'm uh, not in my home country, Sweden, but it's equally yeah. snowy and rainy and all that. <laughs> Well, it's the same as Vancouver then. It's gray uh, and rainy here. Same weather. Uh, do you ski? Uh, you know what? I used to snowboard, uh-huh. but not anymore. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Vancouver for business. I think I was visiting uh, EA there. In the weekend, you know, I took the opportunity to go up to, what's it called? It's called... Uh, Whistler. Whistler, yeah. Whistler. And, yeah. And that was amazing skiing. Oh, it's awesome. so yeah. beautiful there. Yeah, the powder. It's the perfect place to learn because if you fall, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Well, uh, good to know. <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. So uh, why don't we get straight into it? You know, mandatory first question. I mean, you, you know, you've been working, you know, with indie development, you've been at, you know, big ones like Riot and EA, but let's just take a step back. I mean, how did you get into yeah. game development in the first place? You know, why? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm a part of that generation that didn't necessarily go to school for games or didn't really even know you could work in games as a career. So uh, my family's a really creative family. My dad was a painter. My mom's creative. She was, I grew up in a very creative environment. And I think I thought I wanted to work in fine art in some way. So I went to school for that. And then eventually it was the late 90s, early 2000s, and everything was going digital. And I saw the change. Um, And I was a photographer. I went back to school to do some digital training. And I really gravitated towards the team management, team leadership side of it, rather than being creating the content myself. And then I met a project manager from EA and through that, and I think I learned about her role and went, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't even know that was a job. And then a friend of mine worked at EA and said, you know, you'd be a really good producer. And I went, I I don't know, what's a producer? You know, I I had no idea. And that was in 2001-ish, around there, 2001, 2002. And then I ended up working in, in a fine art environment, but as a producer working on digital content, and then eventually made my way into games development. All right. Do you feel like you ever had to use or had the opportunity to use the fact that you are actually creatively talented you know, as a way yeah. to you know, get respect with a team and people not being like, oh, you know, you're this manager person. You don't understand <laughs> totally. what we're doing. Absolutely. I think it gave me a big advantage because I think when I came in, you know, I understood that creativity isn't something you can always plant. And so I think I, from the get-go, really understood that you need flexibility, you need collaboration, you need everyone to work together. And it isn't about all these kind of individual creative geniuses doing things and then a manager telling them what to do. That's never how I've looked at it. And, and I think it did help. You know, it's funny you asked that. I think when I first started, I used to intentionally tell people, no, 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 my dad was an artist. That's all he did. <laughs> That's how he raised our family because I felt like it would... I guess like endear myself to people a little bit and, and encourage them that I did understand what they were trying to do. And if we then fast forward a little bit here, one of the things that makes me very excited about this conversation is that, you know, your studio was born during COVID. Yeah. So, so we're not having this story about, okay, there was this team or the studio 
and you had to adapt and what's going to happen now after you were born COVID, you know? Yeah, we uh, were. So can you tell a bit about that? I mean, you know, why was the studio created and how do you think, you know, being born, you know, during in the middle of this, this whole COVID crisis actually yeah. kind of shaped and formed, you know, how this came about? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, so the three original people that, that got together, so Joe Nichols, um, who re most recently was a VP of Maxis at EA, it was kind of his idea a few years ago, and he started talking to different groups, and he found a lot of cultural alignment with Sumo Digital, Sumo Group in the UK, and they're the ones that kind of helped us get off the ground. And then he approached Jeff Coates, who's our creative director. I had worked with both of them a long time ago at EA, and then they brought me into the fold as well. And as we started talking, you know, we knew this is a new reality. There was no studio. And it also kind of makes starting a little bit easier because you already have all the tools at home. I need a computer. I need a monitor. I need a webcam, maybe a keyboard and a mouse. And we were already used to that. We'd all been already working. We'd been doing it for a year. So creating it out of that was, I'm going to say easy. It sounds like a strange thing to say because game development isn't easy, but it was easier, I think, being like, we have to have a location. We have to have an office. We all have to get together every day. We just totally didn't even really think about that. And so when we all came together, found our tech director, Keith Henschel, who I'd worked with previously at the coalition as well, we just gelled really quickly into forming timber and knowing what our values were. And one of those values was flexibility of work location because we'd seen it work. You know, and I, I was at the coalition, our productivity didn't go down. We shipped an update to Gears 5 on the new console. We shipped a bunch of multiplayer updates and we shipped a really large campaign DLC all working from home and did it really well and shipped really quality stuff. And we adapted so quickly, we knew we could do it. And we knew that it would succeed, I guess, in some ways. Are things going to change when we are step-by-step step moving out of COVID or do, you, yeah. or do you think you will continue in pretty much the same way? We're going to do both. We're going to do a hybrid. So we've found that there are team members we have. We actually tease one of our team members because she jokes she's becoming Gollum because she spends so much time at home and she's very social. But we have other people that really love working at home and don't plan on ever coming into the office. We just hired a QA manager who's in Ontario and we're all based in BC, in British Columbia, in Canada. We have a, an amazing programmer who's located in Montreal. Whether she relocates, we said, that's okay. It's up to you. So we're going to make sure that all the systems and the, the way that we work complements whatever that person wants in terms of what's best for them, actually, not necessarily what's best for us. One of the things I find kind of very cool with everything I've seen with you is you're really leaning into production best practices. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously taking what <laughs> we're doing, you know, I, I think that's awesome. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to, I mean, GDC is back this spring and you're going to yeah. give a speech there, right? Yes. I'm yeah. a part of a micro talk. Yeah, a micro talk series. Uh, so just 10 minutes. But what it is, the theme, it's Grant Chonkweiler put it together. And I believe there's five of us. And he just gave us the theme of leading a team through change and a major change. And he just said, you pick a topic. And I thought, well, gosh, starting a new studio during COVID, <laughs> that's a lot of change for a team. So maybe I'll focus on that. And so what I'm going to talk about is how is it when you just say to your team, they ask you a question, well, how do you want to do this? How do you want to do this? How do you want to do this? And you just say, I don't know. How do you want to do it? And how empowering that is. It's scary. 
it can be a little destabilizing for you and the team, but that's okay. And I think it builds resilience. And then having them say to you, well, I'd like to do it like this, instead of assuming as a director or whatever your role is that you know best, because maybe you don't know. It's all brand new territory. And I think we've learned so much doing that. And then having the team tell you, well, I'd like to try this and I'd like to try this and then coaching them through it rather than that more top down, it must be this way. I'm going to read out the title for today because there's actually a lot in that sentence. So the way we formulated today is breaking down team silos for productivity, inclusion, and winning the best talent. There's a lot in that sentence. And I think maybe what we should start with is explaining a bit what team silos actually means. So for all the ones that aren't familiar with that whole idea of a silo, when we're talking about organization, maybe we can start in the end of what is actually a team silo? How does that happen? I mean, just for for, for someone who isn't familiar with that concept. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it can happen in any industry. It doesn't have to be games development. And it's, um, so we talk about silos, you know, games development, we talk about disciplines. So that's like a designer, an artist, an engineer. That's the, the work you do that contributes to the game. But really that exists in any industry, what your role is and what your day-to-day is. That could be accounting and marketing two different roles. And what we know in in games and in creative industry, same with film production or web development or anything is we're all working together towards one goal. But what we can tend to do is just focus in, I call it putting on blinders, like a horse, like you're like Mm -hmm. this, and you're just looking at what you're building instead of looking at how it fits to what everyone else is building at the same time. And we can tend as, you know, as creative people or technical people to just put our heads down and just do our work instead of pulling your head up a little bit and looking at what's around you. Um, And there's also a a joke. I think it's, I was trying to remember if it's in the comic, but I think it is that Jeff Coates, our creative director did about the silos where he has two people and the guy is just dumping garbage over a fence. And he's just Mm -hmm. saying, you deal with it, which is, has happened and can happen in games development or in any type of collaborative atmosphere where someone is so heads down, they build a thing, they throw it over the fence and hand it to you and you get it and you go, that's not what I needed or wanted, or I don't know how to use it. And so that's a big value of Timbers is to break that stuff down and get rid of those old habits people might have to working like that. You know, you were mentioning that this happens in other industries too. And uh, I have one example of a friend who's been uh, coaching um, a car company more more agile in how they work. I'm not going to mention the company, (laughs) but uh, he said it's very complicated to try to break down uh, kind of team silos there because they literally sit in different houses. In different buildings. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. like, is there any chance we can organize ourselves you know, in a more cross-functional way and actually have the teams, well, this like is before COVID, together. but you know, sit together. Now, when I say this example, I realize that in one way, it might actually be easier to do this in an environment where you're distributed because it's less about changing a physical environment and more about just saying, guys, this is your new team members and, and this is your the right. objectives. It might actually be easier when you're online. Okay, so before we go into the the meat of this and consequences of breaking down team silos, I just want to go back to, you know, your background, both from from Indie, but also from Riot and EA. If you would say, okay, this is kind of what I brought from each place into what you do now, because obviously being part of starting a studio, you're kind of giving birth to something new and it's, it's, it's yeah. really your baby and, and it's going to be very important. Okay, this is what I really contribute to making this great. So I guess that you have something great to bring from Riot, something great to bring from EA, something great to bring from Indus, etc. right? Yeah, I think for me, probably it's my most recent experience at the coalition because I was there for eight years working on Gears 4. And 
I, when I got there, the teams were very siloed. Kind of comes back to what we were talking about a little bit. There was producers who managed a single discipline, very separated, and teams weren't working in this kind of cross-functional way. And that's you know, one of the first things I, I tried to help the team with is to say, hey, let's try and create some cross-functional teams and cross-functionality and create this more sense of your team is your whole team working on something, not just your discipline. And so that's definitely something I've taken with me. And I, I certainly really credit actually Rod Ferguson, who was the former studio head at the coalition, with teaching me a ton. He has years of experience in this industry and watching how he led creative and was so clear on his vision. And I think that clarity of vision is something that um, actually Jeff, our creative director at Timber, and I talk about a lot and creating clarity and how important that is and making sure that when you're in a review, it's like there's very clear feedback and people know the direction they're going in. And so it's very clear, yeah, the goal that you have and how to get there. Even if you don't have all the answers, it's okay to say, I don't know, but it's also okay to have this very clear vision and make sure that everything is aligning to that and then iterate inside that. That's a few of the things I've taken with me. I certainly, inclusion is incredibly important at Timber. It's one of our main values. It's something you'll see in a lot of our online presence. And that's certainly something I didn't see at EA and at Riot. And it affected me a lot, to be totally honest. And so something we talk a lot about at Timber is let's do this differently. Let's make sure we're not the latest studio that's having an article written about us because we've messed up in that area. And how do we make sure at every step we're hiring people that are going to be a culture add into what we've already created? Oh, yeah. you said culture add. That's I what did. I did. We are recruiting you say a that lot too? right now. And every recruiter <laughs> I'm talking to, they're like, okay, so what are you looking for in terms of culture fit? I was like, no, we're looking for culture add. <laughs> I'm so excited, yeah, Patrick. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. We had that same conversation when our recruiting partners came and joined us. And I was like, hey, everyone, we're not going to say this anymore. Because if you're a culture fit, what are you adding to what already exists? That's awesome. Let's go back then to our nice title here. Okay, so let's say now we're breaking down a team silos and how... Well, I mean, let's just talk about productivity and inclusion yeah. and, you know, yeah. winning the best talent. I mean, we got those three. <laughs> I think they're quite self-explanatory while they're good. I mean, yeah. we, we all want higher productivity. Of course. We want to get the best talent. Maybe we should actually start with inclusion. The discourse, so to say, in society is that this is great. But why? I think yeah. we need to talk about, so, so why is it actually important? Yeah, and I think I'll clarify a little bit too, because I what I feel like out there, the, the discourse is diversity, right? Diverse hiring, diverse teams. We're just not talking about inclusion. And I think we can see that what's been happening is you can hire a whole bunch of diverse people, but if they don't feel included, they're just going to leave or not contribute in a way that is great for them or for you. And you won't have that healthy environment and actually push yourself to innovate, have different perspectives and truly have the culture add kind of what we were talking about. That's sort of Timber's perspective in mind too, is how do you make sure when you're hiring someone into your company that they're themselves when they come to work every day. They get to be who they truly are and they aren't covering or hiding that true self every day at work. And you're going to get more out of them. You're going to get more innovation. You're going to create better games, better products, better ideas come from that sense of inclusion and, and psychological safety for people where it's really about being your true self. It's kind of how I look at inclusion. I read this in a book quite a while ago that I found very interesting, which was basically saying that if you have a very diverse team that is definitely going to boost things like creativity, innovation, etc. And then it kind of asks the question, so why aren't we all doing it that way? And what about productivity? And yeah. then it basically says, you know, what's often forgotten because we tend to talk about this in terms of the positives is that actually diversity in itself affects productivity right. negatively. 
in the short term. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the point is making is that you need to unite around other things. It's like yeah. if you're not uniting around that you're all studying at the exact same place at the same time or that you all look the same or whatever, if that's not the thing uniting you, then you need something else that unites you. Right. And, yeah. and you know, as a leader, if you want to get the best out of this, you're putting together a team which is very diverse, but then you actually need to make a very conscious effort around, well, yes. what's then the thing that's going to unite us? Does that does this resonate with you? How do Absolutely. you work with this? It's funny because I heard you in one of your po previous podcasts, you brought that up and I was like, oh yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think what's so interesting is, yeah, you need, um, I don't call it a rallying cry, but you're right. You need something that everyone can rally around and all feel significance. Like it's really that goal, I guess, that I keep thinking about. And I think for us at Timber, it really is our values. And because same thing with creating a studio during COVID, we're all remote, but we also have built around this culture add values proposition to everybody. And we've already created a pretty diverse team in terms of gender. We still have a long way to go in other areas, but it's already created a very different atmosphere. It's very noticeable to myself and, and a lot of people at the studio. And it's this extremely collaborative. Everybody can make comments about the game we're creating. There's no anyone saying, don't you comment on this thing? Don't you comment on that thing? And so it's naturally breaking down the silos, kind of laughing because I'm thinking about what's been created and how the team itself has actually created that culture. They've grabbed onto it and they own it. And they're the ones saying, no, 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 no. Of course that person can comment on this. Hey, what's your opinion about this? I want to show you something. And no one is going, you're this discipline. You shouldn't do this thing. Or you're, there's no one saying, stay in your lane or don't get involved. And they naturally include each other in their everyday activities. And so they are creating a culture of inclusion themselves because they know that that's why they came to Timber. We also have here recruited getting the best talent. And I think many can feel the the heat in the market right <laughs> oh now. Oh my gosh, talent. it's it crazy, crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so many, you know, new amazing studios, tech companies in general, and there's so much money in the market and it is a bit crazy. How do you make sure that just not becoming kind of words and yeah. that, that people that you manage to engage in a conversation around working at your studio, that they actually really feel this practically, how do you do it? That's a great question. I, uh, you're reminding me that every single person we've interviewed has also said to us, great culture, great marketing. How do you plan on keeping this culture as you scale? So that's something everyone we interview is asking because they've had that experience where they've been sold something in the interview and it hasn't proved to be true when they got to the company. And so practically really for us, it's constantly checking in with the team and saying to them, are we succeeding? Are we doing what we should be? Is this working for you? It's interesting. I've been um, helping run the team retrospectives, which I need to book one. It's reminding me I need to do one this week. But I've never run a team retrospective and had the team say the number one thing that's working is communication. Communication is always the number one thing that we need to make better. Always. None of those teams were remote. The number one thing our team keeps bringing up in the retrospectives is that communication is great. And I find that fascinating. And so that's not, we're like, okay, that's working. And I find that super interesting. And so that retrospective feedback, getting that from the team, and certainly what we need to do practically is make sure that we're also doing those with people who aren't just on our game team, but are in those operations roles as well. But it's really interesting taking the feedback, saying to the team, okay, let's collaborate 
collaboratively figure out how we're going to move these things forward and how we keep improving. And it's something we really embrace. And I think also as directors, we're very available. Joe Nichols, our studio head, he's having one-on-ones with everyone on the team right now. That's hard to scale, but we'll try and do it as, as much as we can. We've been extremely transparent and open with the team as things change. As soon as things happen, uh, business-wise or you know, Sumo Group was just recently purchased by Tencent. So as soon as we could tell the team, we made sure we let them know. And so just being really transparent with leadership. And I just keep coming back to that collaborative culture building that we're doing with the team involved in it. It's super interesting what you said there about collaboration, uh, sorry, communication working. <laughs> we actually had, you know, I'm not saying this, you know, just to kind of chime in and say hooray, but we actually had to say, because we're recruiting quite a lot ourselves now. Yeah. And, and then we were doing a bit of retrospective on, okay, what's really important now that we keep as we are yeah. expanding the team. And that actually came up. I find it so interesting, so interesting that in a distributed team, that's the thing that comes up as something that works. Because you're absolutely right that very often, <laughs> you know, when people are going to complain about something, it's like, oh, you know, we need to communicate better. Always, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I find it fascinating. Like, I even went back and looked at old retrospectives, previous teams, and I was like, why was communication so terrible when we were all in the same space? And maybe it's because we're forced. We're forced to over-communicate right now. I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to give a little shout out to working with Fabro as software because you would have chatted about this previously a little bit, but it is so encouraging the team to collaborate. And previously at previous companies, I'd worked with a very well-known software that I've always felt changed the way we communicated and collaborated. And it broke people apart. It was so difficult to create like a collaborative online software space where everyone could see and visualize the work. And, or you were in an Excel sheet and then you're exporting data from the super complex database and it turned producers into data managers instead of team coaches. And I really credit that to you with us saying at the very beginning, and I said this to our lead producer, it was my challenge to her, is I said, I want to find software that's human. Cool. It, it oh, I, I, should, like I should totally steal that as a tagline. <laughs> I hope yeah. our head, head of marketing is listening. <laughs> you um, can have it. It's yours. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think touching upon something which is at the core of what we're trying to, well, the original idea of Evro and, and also what we're trying to tell the market now, which is really that if you are deliberately trying to have team with autonomous teams yeah. within the team and, and you want to have a flat organization and you actually want to be successful with a lot of the things that you've been talking about, tooling that you're using, that's not like an IT question. It's a strategic question yes. because it, you know, you have a lot of gravity coming from that. So if you're in studio leadership and, and you're trying to get all these things right, but then, you know, you're picking a tool, which is based on centralization and everything just becomes yeah. a pile of tickets, you know, a then, pile then, of tickets. That's yeah. The I mean, best then, then, then it's exactly as you were saying, is going to create the force, uh, yeah. which is actually ruining what you're trying to do. It's and, working and against yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah. and unfortunately, so far, it's not everyone who have realized that it, it creates that force. And yeah. I think we have a job to do in terms of educating the market that, you know yeah. what, it actually matters what kind of tooling you, you pick. Sorry, I was interrupting there. No, I was going to just add to that what you're saying about tools, because in the games industry, we never invest in tools for production for the team. It's just not something teams do. And those tools programmers who could be helping you create tools that are work the way you want them to work. You spend so much time building the engine, the tools for the designers, the artists, and all these different groups. And it's just impossible to get that <laughs> bandwidth 
to create the best tools for production. And why don't we invest in those things? It's one of the most important things that you do is well, helping your team collaborate. So. Well, I'm, I'm obviously biased here, but you know, many of our, <laughs> our developers are former game developers and or creating some game on the side. Yeah. So, so maybe we are that group. Yeah. But anyways, you know, enough plugging your favor here. So I, I want to ask you a final question, which is 2022 is going to be a very interesting year where knock on wood, we are finally you know, moving into so. a little bit more, let's say normal, as I said, I'm Swedish. Wednesday this week, the government in Sweden said, okay, now COVID is no longer extra serious, basically classified as like another flu, yeah. uh, which means that kind of all restrictions and everything kind of went away. So at least technically in Sweden, things are back to normal. And I heard that many other countries moving the same way. So with that said, it's likely that 2022 is going to be the year when we get back to some kind of normal. What are you looking forward to the most this year? You know what I'm looking forward to, and a lot of people on our team have said this, is social outings with our team. When we were really small, we had a little short period of time in Canada before Omicron, and we were all vaccinated. And we had a, we were only about 10 people, and we had a, a few team lunches on Friday afternoons, and we had so much fun. And I was so looking forward to that, it just getting together with the team. There's people on our team I haven't met in person, um, and I just would love to have a team lunch where I can just ask people about their personal lives and get get to know them. And a lot of our team has been saying, I just miss the social activity, not necessarily sitting in a studio working with people because we've, we're, we're doing great working remotely, but it's the social aspect. And I think we spend so much time at work, people are missing those social connections. And it is definitely challenging to make those online. And then I'm looking forward to traveling again. Oh my gosh, I want to travel to another country other than Canada. <laughs> I love Canada, but I love traveling. I'm very much looking forward to that. You are going to GDC, right? So <laughs> hopefully I might deliver my speech online. We'll see how it turns out. Unless something goes the opposite direction now, <laughs> I will bring a small team and I will go to Dice That'd in Vegas great. and I will go to yeah. GDC. And I totally hear you on what you were saying. We actually did pull together our team. Since we don't do off-sites, since we're yeah. first, we call it on-sites. And we nice. actually did, we did an onset like just before Christmas. It was so much fun, you know, because a lot yeah. of the people in, in my team, they actually met for the first time. And it was people that actually had never met each other in person. We hired them without having met them. We hired them. Remote. Yeah. And now yeah. suddenly, you know, we're in the same room. I was a little bit afraid that it's going to be awkward, <laughs> but it was not. Everyone was just so happy that we could just hang out. And we really planned in those days to not be about making business decisions or because we're comfortable working remote. But right. actually be about more just, just, just hanging out and yeah, yeah. Hang out, getting to know each other. So important. Yeah, yeah, we did that. We had a Christmas dinner instead of a Christmas party in early December. And the same thing, it was just seeing each other in person. And, and it was almost like a reunion, even though we hadn't all met each other. So we're looking forward to that for sure. Hey, this was really good. I hope we continue the conversation in a not too distant future. And, you know, maybe, sure we we can, maybe we will have a, a second podcast, like yeah. you know, part two, going deeper. I mean, some That'd of the be best great. games I ever played. Sometimes part two is better than part one, you know. <laughs> uh, and I think this was a very good part one. So that um, yeah. uh, that is really good. Sounds great. It was great to chat with you. And hopefully I'll end up at GDC and we'll get to go have a drink and a chat in person. Sounds great. I hope that too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Patrick. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favro.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.